Good evening. Welcome to Crowdsourcing the Revolution. We're going to start today's episode with a song written by Sarah Bareilles and sung by Leslie Odom Jr. It was made for This American Life in 2016, just prior to the election of Donald Trump. Enjoy the song, and then I'll be back, and we'll be talking about the ERA and the strike going on in California for people's mental health. Skipping stone, the ripples one son of a god. Some would not have thought so, but I stand here, commander in chief, and I take that seriously. But along the way, the rogue ripple turned tidal wave. In reaction to what I tried to do, the rebirth of a nation's hatred. Red, white, and blue is black in there too. Seriously, one man rewriting the book on bad behavior. Maybe teach the neighbors. You guess what they pay for? We can pat him on the back and send him on through. No man's ignorance will ever be his virtue. Is this the best we can do? Seriously. Let's talk up here. And why don't we bring it in here? It's a dangerous word. Spooks the herd and we all bleed in the stampede. Fear makes a false friend in me, and I take it seriously. Oh, hear me now, for the truth gets drowned out by a demigod flexing, a demigod flexing, he's history repeating.
Let's end with why It's a question I Wanna ask of us The populace Why not take our time All the weight of this story Seriously That was Seriously, Words and Music by Sarah Bareilles, performed by Leslie Odom Jr. for this American Life episode 599 in October of 2016. Well, welcome to Crowdsourcing the Revolution. I'm Amanda Rice. I see we've got a small but mighty audience right now. Maybe more will join us. Um a couple of things on my mind, and I want to take your calls. Um, first, I want to give a report on uh, the strike going on, the National Union of Health Workers has been on strike now for three weeks, and they're saying it's, they think it's the longest strike of mental health workers in history. And they've been striking in Northern California in multiple locations for three weeks straight um, for better working conditions. And what that means is they want a contract that says that Kaiser, which is the provider of the insurance and the care, uh, will follow state law regarding providing care to people in need of seeing a therapist within the uh, guidelines that our best practice and state law. And Kaiser just keeps gaslighting and trying to get politicians on their side. So what's been happening, This um, I've been going on Mondays and Fridays in Oakland, which is, um, which is when Mon- they have them here um, in Oakland. But they also have them in about 20 other cities around Northern California, including Sacramento, San Francisco, San Leandro, San Mateo, Walnut Creek, whole bunch of cities, Roseville. And so here's what's happening right now. So they're planning a big picnic on Monday, which is Labor Day, uh, in Oakland at the park across the street from the Kaiser. And um, here's what's happening right now. So, so Kaiser says that they've been bargaining in good faith and really what's happening is that they're not doing bupkis. Um, According to this press release from the union, so take it with a grain of salt, they have have received $105,000 in donations for the local strike fund, but Kaiser, which is the employer health insurer, They spun a fantasy about what happened in bargaining prior to the strike. They asked everybody to come back to work without a contract for the sake of the patients. But the strike is about helping patients and forcing Kaiser to fund its completely underfunded behavioral health services and stop violating the state law. And there... According to according to the um, the striker, the the union person that I talked to on Friday at the strike, 
Um, there was bargaining supposed to be happening today. And um, maybe we'll know more on Monday, which again is Labor Day. Thank you, union member, for your five-day week. Moving on, I want to cover the ERA. This is an issue that... I don't know if you could hear that go by. This is an issue that I, I picked back up because I recently discovered that the Equal Rights Amendment, which was passed... Hi, Allison. Uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, which was passed in... Uh, 1972 in Congress, after being introduced every year since 1923, was ratified by 35 states, but then stalled out in the late 1980s. And then in 2017, Nevada ratified it. And after that, um, after that, I'm sorry, my computer Kick the bucket. It's a little hot out here and it overheated. So the, so then another state um, ratified it. And then in 2020, in January, Virginia ratified it. So that made 38 states, which is exactly the number the Constitution requires for, for a, an amendment to become part of the Constitution. So there's been some disagreement about whether or not it actually is an amendment. So I'm going to go back just a step. And uh, as soon as my stupid computer, you know what? I love computers. Please feel free to call in. If you think of a question, I I'm not, I'm not excellent at, at pulling the chat, but I will try to keep my eye on it. And in the meantime, I'm going to my other resource here. So one of the resources that I've been using to watch what's happening is, is a organization called the ERA Coalition. And the whole reason I got started on being interested in this is because of an op-ed in the LA Times by a human rights attorney named Kate Kelly that the ERA being an amendment would actually could actually be help in relation to the Dobbs decision and abortion rights. So going back, I just want to read the amendment. I think most of most of the most of you all who are in here, I'll get to your call in just a minute, Vlad. Most of you all who are, who are in here have probably already heard this, but I'm just going to read it. The amendment has three sections: equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Section two: the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. And section three, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So two years after the date of ratification was January 27th, 2022. And the National Archivist should have added it to the Constitution by publishing it, which is the usual, oh, I hate Microsoft just updated my computer. Sorry. Um, so. 
What happened was Bill Barr on January 6th of 2020, not 2021, 2020, wrote uh, as, a, as Attorney General, wrote a letter saying that it shouldn't be published by the National Archivist. So there were a bunch of letters written to Attorney General Merrick Garland to overturn that particular opinion. And, um, and Merrick Garland, it's actually now a, it's actually now in the district court in DC. There's a court case. So there is development on what's happening with this. So they've said that this is not, it should not be added as an amendment because there was this bogus time limit thing added on to it, which is the reason why the former attorney general said that it was bupkis. So January 28th, um, there's in the court of appeals for DC, there'll be a three panel judge for a, uh, a case called Illinois v. Ferio, F-E-R-R-I-E-R-O. I, I put a doc on Google Docs, and there's a link to it in the show description if you want to actually look at what I'm looking at to read this to you. And it's, it mentions which judges are on that three-judge panel, and the date is September 28th. And what I did was I summarized the the various amicus briefs if you don't if you aren't a lawyer or you don't know what an amicus brief is well you and me are in the same boat i can only say that an amicus brief is a friend of the court brief is how it's been explained to me meaning these people are like we're not necessarily party to the lawsuit but we've got an opinion on this and so i summarized the arguments that were in the various amicus briefs on the ERA coalition site. Um, so you, and you can look at that and it makes it much easier to see actually what the arguments are that they're making about why it should be added to the constitution. Vlad, let me bring you up and let's hear what you have to say. How are you doing, Amanda? My my thing is what you talked at the beginning hi, regarding the uh, how are you doing uh, regarding the uh, nurses' strike. Well, you got a really bad you. connection. Really? Hello, hello. Better. Hello. Can you hear me? Vlad, 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 yeah, you got a really bad connection. Can you exit and can, come back in? Hold on. You can hear him okay? Yeah, can you I hear me? I can't hear him at all. all right. Vlad, are you there? Okay, can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. No, so basically okay. what I was asking is, in regards to the nurses uh, striking, who, who's it, preventing it? Because you mentioned it's between Kaiser and politicians. So, so um, it's, it's not nurses that are striking. It's mental health. It's mental health workers. 
Oh. They're fighting for in behavioral health. The nurses came out to strike with them in solidarity on Thursday. Oh. But um, it's mental health therapists that who are who are um, on strike, and they are striking against Kaiser, who is their employer. And Kaiser is a large um, hospital slash insurance corporation here in California. Yes, I'm well aware of them. Okay. So, yeah. so what can so, be done since? Since they're, Kaiser's getting involved with uh, the politicians, can't they be called out, the politicians and Kaiser? Yes, that's what the striking workers are trying to do. And, they, and, and one of the reasons I continue to try and elevate the story is because I think the more people know, the more people are going to you know, talk to other people about what's going on. It's been going on for three weeks. What it is, is Kaiser does not want to revamp the behavioral health side of their organization for whatever reason that they're making up, but it's causing all kinds of people to not be able to get services. And that's not good in a situation like we're in in this country where most people in this world could probably use a, an appointment or two with a therapist. So I don't know. So that so so it's about putting. So the governor, they are the state already passed a law saying what the standards were, and there's a penalty of twenty five hundred dollars that goes into effect as of July first for every appointment that's canceled and not rescheduled. But wow. they're not having enough people complain about it to make it costly enough to Kaiser for Kaiser to stop doing it. So one of the things that they're doing is they're like, when I was down at the strike, I was talking to somebody who said that his appointment had been canceled and had not been rescheduled. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, come over here and put your name down and be so that you can add your story because that's going to cost Kaiser money. And it's just not enough money yet, but the state had already so the law was supposed to go into effect January 1st, and the state already gave Kaiser a six-month grace period, and Kaiser did zilch wow. in that time. So now, now people are, uh, you know, the, the therapists are up in Sacramento. There are other unions joining them on the strike lines. Kaiser continues to put out messages that people are crossing the strike lines, but the the strike fund is $105,000, and that's just the outside strike fund. That's not the internal fund that they've had set up since before they went on strike. So they're going to be able to keep it up. They, the last thing Kaiser offered was, was higher wages, but they didn't offer any change to the um, workload, which was their main complaint. Their main complaint right now is not anything about wages. So I usually, guess yeah, talk, usually it's talk, the workload. It's it's uh yeah. So I think uh, that I think where, where that, of course uh, sorry go ahead. The the Department of of Human Health Services in California is investigating. So I'm not sure at this point. I'm you know when I go back on Monday. They're just kind of in a holding pattern because 
I, I don't think it sounds like Kaiser is not really making much of an effort. And, and I don't know where the pressure will come from. They've got like a $54 billion endowment or something stupid like that. So I don't know where the pressure can come from when they have that much in terms of resources. With, Do you have any ideas? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would say, I would say, I would ask actually, or I would say more correctly, um, what has worked for unions in the past? The pressure from many groups, the petty, the pressure from many people. It's gonna be. It looks like it's gonna be a long, a long strike. But at the same time, it has to be televised. It, put it out yep. of the press like crazy and uh, embarrass embarrass the uh, Kaiser administrators that are looking the other way. That, you know, like nothing. Yep. Like if this is just gonna go away, and, yep. and put it out there. Put it out there as much as you can and pressure the politicians like crazy. We well, are in an election year, so their yeah. job should be on the line. Their jobs they should be on the be. line. For sure. You know? And at the same time, not only those jobs, but the Kaiser jobs. You know? And I'm not referring to the mental, uh, mental health uh, officers and, and nurses and, and uh, orderlies and people that work as professionals there and, and or their vocation. I'm referring to the people always at the top, like the, the uh, Kaiser administrators. I've never heard of Kaiser being this bad. I've heard it being bad in the past, but... Never this bad. Well, they revamped the medical side. They just didn't revamp the behavioral health side. And this is what this union that was formed 12 years ago has been working on for 12 years is to try to get the behavioral health side revamped. And all of this stuff is stuff that I've found out just by being down there and talking to the strikers. Now, I also talked to um, somebody who was there for the transportation union, the local BART union. He'd been a union member for 25 years. And when I asked him how he found out about the strike, you know, I'm like thinking maybe his newsletter put it in or, you know, his union gave him a heads up. No, somebody in his building works for Kaiser. And he was like, well, this is stupid. If she can't go to Sacramento, I can't. I got the day off. And so he drove up to Sacramento. And so then he came down to the Oakland one. So this is like, it's solidarity, but it's solidarity on the individual level, even from the union's perspective, which is sad because if you're not going to support unions outside your industry, what a bummer. Exactly. But you know what, since it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's like you were mentioning, I think it's state money, right? Then the politicians are the responsible for that in all that leadership. No, it's a, private, it's, a, it's a private non-hospital. It's a private non-profit hospital. Oh, but so but uh, the not, money, I'm, I'm assuming they're getting the money from insur different insurances, right? Including uh, Medi-Cal. They, they run their own insurance. Oh, yeah, of course. The Kaiser runs their own. Okay. Right. Yeah, but either way, even if they attach uh, any type of Medicare, Medi-Cal, you know how people could uh, choose oh, whatever yeah. type of, of yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah well they should this this goes all the way to the federal government they should be pressured there now the question is who's in charge of these programs exactly where that's the, the thing federal level? Could, this is the thing that they were saying to me and I, I I talked to a number of different people down there at the strike who all said this is the problem it's it's there isn't one person you can point to it's all diffuse and some so-and-so is responsible for this. Oh, but I can't make that decision. And so everything then becomes, it's nobody's fault because that's the corporation and that's the way it's designed to be is to prevent 
prevent anybody from having any consequences from their bad actions. You know, it's that immunity, qualified immunity. Wow. That's sad, but you know what? Let us know what you do. And you said you're going to be there on Monday. Give us an update. Yep. You know. So you can follow. You can follow the union on on Twitter. The the N U H W National Union of Healthcare Workers. Um, just look them up on Twitter. They've been posting updates and pictures from all of the events. So you can kind of follow what's happening there. But I will be giving updates also. So oh, thank you very much. Have Absolutely. a great weekend, Amanda. Thank you. You too, Vlad. Uh, anyone? Is, I welcome anyone to call in. Um, my computer decided to do its updating, and now it's still signing in. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, the ERA, so the ERA thing that I wanted to make sure I got updated because now it's only about three weeks away is that there is a court date, September 28th, in the D.C. District Court of Appeals to try and undo what Attorney General Barr did when he wrote the memo saying that the National Archivist shouldn't publish the 28th Amendment. Now that I've got my computer back, so I want to. I just want to go over some of the main arguments that seemed like good arguments out of the, I don't know, twelve amicus briefs that I read through. Now I'm going to give the disclaimer: I am not an attorney. I never went to law school. I know attorneys, and not because I've hired them, but I am not a, an attorney. But it's very interesting to see what the different details are. And again, the, there's a link to a Google Doc where I have copied and pasted the information that I'm about to read to you. And if you would like to call in, I'm more than happy to have discussion because I think this is, I'd really like to hear everybody trying to pressure their local representative, their U.S. Congress candidate or representative to get this thing done because there's no reason why it shouldn't be done it was first introduced in 1923. Let's get it part of the Constitution by 2023. That seems reasonable. So looking at the, there's there's some of these amicus briefs, which is an amicus brief is a friend of the court brief. Like some of the, some of the most interesting arguments, I think, come from the Constitutional Accountability Center. So so they're coming at it from the conclusion or from the point of view that the certification and publication role of the National Archivist was created to eliminate doubt about whether constitutional amendments have been adopted. And the certification has been crucial in securing widespread recognition of contested amendments. And the archivist certification triggers important processes that confer legitimacy on new amendments. And his refusal to certify the ERA undermines its legitimacy. And so for the foregoing reasons, the court should hold the plaintiff states have standing. Because the plaintiff states have filed 
against the National Archivist to say, hey, this isn't right. And the states that filed, I have that. Let's see, where's the states? States of New York, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, and Wisconsin. Also the governor of Kansas, not the state, note, and the District of Columbia. And their, their argument is they, that Congre Congress lacked an authority to impose a ratification deadline. So they're saying, because the argument has been there's, there was this deadline put on it, that if it wasn't ratified by 1985, 1982, 1982, that it would be dead. But that's not really a thing. And according to this one from the argument from the states, it says the deadline is not authorized by Article 5's text. The deadline undermines the framers' deliberate choice of an amendment process without time constraints. The deadline disrupts Article 5's careful balancing. The deadline undermines the original states' understanding of Article 5 when they ratified the Constitution the deadline is inconsistent with congressional practice from the founding until 1960. And Dylan V. Gloss does not control. Don't ask me about that one. I don't have any idea. Purported rescissions of the ERA ratifications are ineffective. So I think that if you want to know what's going to happen with this, it's going to be happening right in the midst of these campaigns this fall because September 28th is just about a month before the election, five weeks. So what I'd like to make sure you guys do is get out there and talk to every candidate you can and every channel you can and put some pressure on them, ask them why they haven't done something about this. Hi, Derek. Hey, what's up, Amanda? Oh, man, Amanda, those arguments were beautiful. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, to me, it seems like there's another angle that could be played, another argument. Uh, I don't know if, if you already uh, stumbled into this or if somebody else uh, brought it up in those briefs or elsewhere. Um, but I, I think a strong argument could be made that the president himself is undermining uh, the ratification process of Article 5 in our Constitution and uh, states' rights issues by refusing or not um, finalizing the 28th Amendment. I think that easily could be made. I think specifically these amicus briefs are are specific to to the deadline. It looks like what they're trying. So the court should reverse the judgment of the district court and recognize the ERA has been validly ratified. Is what the what the conclusion of the constitutional law scholars section says. So so I don't think it's completely um, out of line, but it also, I don't think, because they're trying to do it um, in terms of what it says in terms of the Constitution, 
there's nothing that says in the Article 5 about the president doing anything, that it's just that the states have to ratify it after Congress passes it. Yeah, as far as putting pressure on Biden to go ahead and uh, hand it off to uh, the uh, National Archivist, though, uh, additional pressure, you know, outside of what we would, I think, quickly think would be applicable in this situation uh, would be to actually have maybe some Republicans back the hell off as far as um, trying to counter it with a state's rights argument that a lot of libertarian types would, uh, you know, be be grappling over more more than uh, Republicans in order to not alienate a certain wing of their party. Maybe they'd back off a bit. So maybe here's the way into the president, because it says in the Constitutional Accountability Center's amicus, it says archivist certification triggers important processes, da 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 da. And then under that, it says, finally, the act of signing an amendment certification, quote, has become a ceremonial function attended by various dignitaries, quote, unquote including the president constitutional amendment process supra further enhancing the perceived legitimacy of new amendments. When this opportunity to increase public awareness and acceptance of the new amendment is denied, legitimacy suffers. So he should have a signing ceremony. I mean, who doesn't love a signing ceremony? Yeah. I mean, if Democrats weren't so ridiculously stupid, this would be an amazing opportunity for them to rally support behind their party going into midterms and possibly, uh, you know, obviously, uh, effect the election down the road. Show off their genius by doing this. That's, I think, a different way you could say that they should show off their genius because I completely agree with you. It's just that. Telling somebody they're dumb and then telling them you need them to do something is hard. <laughs> do you ever get that to work? Yeah. yeah, if you want to frame it that way. I don't know. I, I get everything to work. I just don't <laughs> stop. Amanda. Persistence. I see. I see. Yeah. I try to work smarter, not not persistence. Or does that make sense? No. Yeah, I'd rather put all kinds of effort into it and wear somebody fucking down. Well, and there's an additional argument because the 27th Amendment, which was just ratified recently, like really recently, I want to say in the past year, but it might have been the past three, was actually written like all the way at the beginning. It's been almost 200 years since that one was written. And it's only been 100 since this one was written. So it's been been less than that. It's 1923. It was originally introduced in Congress. The twenty seventh, you're talking about? No, the twenty. No, the twenty eighth. Right, the twenty twenty seventh was seventeen eighty nine, so over two hundred years. Yeah, over two hundred years. Yeah, thank you for that. I got to put that down in my notes, so I got it next time. So, uh, let me ask you a question. You seem to have a little bit of a handle on the, the libertarian think thinking in a way. Are, are libertarians kind of chamber of commerce people or no? Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly. You know, I I don't think most libertarians know anything more than uh, libertarian sounds cool 
and they like the simple sort of messaging of you know so i'm just trying to i'm just trying to narrow down which one of the amicus briefs might have arguments that would work best for libertarians because there's the one from the business and corporate entities which has like 76 different corporations signed on and then there's like you know know. world policy analysis center former state legislate legislators of Illinois, Nevada, and Virginia. Yeah, I mean, trying to appeal to Rand Paul is not the same as trying to appeal to I somebody that recently, you know, so. Right, right. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to, to put the Google Doc up there so that it was easily accessible. So if anybody wanted to look. Because I did just, I basically cut and pasted from all the amicus, the 12 amicus briefs that the ERA coalition had posted links to on their site. And the links to the actual documents are on that Google Doc, or at least they should be. Let me know if they don't work. Message me here and I will fix that so that people can, if they want to go do a deep dive into the ERA, then they can do that. Those were the main things that I wanted to make sure that I updated. Um, Also, Elect Equality, which is a project of the ERA coalition, I have updated. Um, They have ERA certified candidates, and um, I've updated all of the candidates, whether they're um, either assumed to be um, ERA supportive or whether they actually know they're ERA supportive based on public documents or the actual interview with the person themselves. And what I found interesting is that there were a couple of people that were certified by ERA coalition that did not get elected in the primary. They were, they were taken out in the primaries which I'm pulling that up right now. Why are you not opening? Does anybody anybody else find that when they talk to their computer, it actually works better? Of course. Everybody (laughs) knows. (laughs) Okay. So, so looking at the, looking at the, um, House of House of Representatives. Um, so there's. Uh, let's see. We've got seventy five candidates that have some kind of notation on whether they support the ERA or not. So there's a couple of different levels, and those are all noted on the spreadsheet. Some some people absolutely don't support it, and that's based on public information. Um, what I found kind of interesting is there. So so there's a Green Party candidate um, in District 10 who's ERA certified. There's a Libertarian in Idaho who is ERA plus based on um, based on the uh, 
the survey submitted by the candidate. So Joe Evans in Idaho's first district, who's a libertarian, based on what he submitted, they say he supports the ERA. Also, Indiana libertarian Andrew Horning, same thing. He submitted a a form. There was one Republican who was a dummy, and he submitted a form, and he got ERA no. <laughs> so I guess maybe he was trying to verify to his Republican people that he didn't support the ERA. Maybe that's what he was looking for, is that certification. Sam Rankin, Libertarian in Montana's 2nd District. I'm just going over the non-Democrat, non-Republicans who are listed. Um, in Nebraska, there's a candidate running under the Legal Marijuana Now Party named Mark Elworth, who is um, not ERA certified, but submitted a survey and has been determined to be, to be supportive. Ken Kavanaugh in Nevada. Nevada's first district. He's a libertarian. In New York's 19th, Josh Riley in the Working Families Party. And I think that, and jo Justin Graywolf, who I'm just going to mention his name again because he is a libertarian and he is the only candidate when I reached out to candidates who were running. This was back when Washington was having their before Washington had their primary, when I reached out in July, he's the only candidate who wrote me back out of the like 25 that I reached out to. So he actually submitted a survey to the ERA and was found to support it. But of course, there's lots of Republicans that don't support it. But if you want to look at the list for yourself, you can also go to electequality.org and just put in your zip code and it'll tell you exactly just yours just what your your representatives positions are if they know them so that's what i wanted to say on that one questions comments calls i'm i'm kind of wondering amanda if there are any um proposed amendments or unfinalized uh, amendments that's uh Republican and libertarian types uh, might be in favor of, uh, you know, going through this exact same process. Like, might they, if there's at least one, uh, might they be more inclined to support this one if they know that one that they support hmm. uh, could, be, could be accomplished this via this route, this sort of easy signing of a president? Uh, yeah, kind of it's, thing. Super, it's super easy. They only had to get, it only took how many years to get it approved by Congress and then how many years to get every 38 states to ratify it? It was super easy. Well, I mean, <laughs> after the, the states did their job, though, the, the idea in know, their minds. Yeah, as far as I know, there is not one that has been ratified by 30, by, by anywhere close to even one state other than this one. But I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I know there's other amendments that have been proposed, like around Citizens United or corporate personhood. I think there was one mm -hmm. going around about corporate personhood. But I don't think it ever got, because the first thing that has to happen is it has to get passed in Congress and then the states ratify. 
Okay. So you could probably search um, amendments that have passed Congress, constitutional amendments that Congress has passed, and see if there's more than 28 of them. That's the only thing I can think of. Cause, but I don't know. I don't know of anything other than that movement. And they were trying to do a constitutional convention to do that one. Interestingly, Chile just has just had a, an election on their constitution and they've revamped their entire constitution by a vote. I think it's this weekend, maybe today. Um, on Kate Kelly's podcast, Ordinary Equality, which has turned into a Roe, uh, a post-Roe world podcast. Um, it, they took a look at it. I haven't listened to it yet, but but you know, I think a lot of folks know that the Constitution was never meant to be a static document. It was always meant to be. revised, you know, and I think the conversation that Derek has brought up about having a national interest 